Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my friend, Jason Meyer. Jason, welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Dave. I really love this podcast. Well, that's very kind, brother. Thank you. Thank you for listening and, and uh, saying that. Can you uh, just catch us up on what's going on in your life, marriage, ministry? Uh, what are you working on uh, ministry project-wise and those types of things? Yeah, so in the uh, Pastor for Preaching Mission is hard to believe the time that's just alone by and uh, I just really love being a pastor um, ministry wise I've been preaching since uh, March of 2017 and started the series on the gospel of Mark and I'm just going to be finishing that here in October I've got three sermons left on it and so that, that has just been um, revolutionary hmm. in so many ways to, to follow Jesus see his heart walk the way that he draws in the marginalized and the outsiders and turn so many things uh, on its head and just to discover more of his heart more of his power uh, has been just a thrill to my soul and I know to Bethlehem's as well. So one of the projects I've been working on is a, a book on the Gospel of Mark or the God's Word for You series that the Good Book Company does. So uh, hopefully finishing that in February um, and I, I'm just really enjoying that. have a different commentary on the book of 2 Corinthians which I preached through uh, a couple years back. So that, that's kind of what, what's going on in terms of preaching ministry and writing ministry. Well that's wonderful. Um, do you know when those will be out? I think the, the Good Book Company one will probably be out about a year from February, so maybe February of 2021. That's awesome. That's great. I look forward to talking with you about it. That'll be uh, yeah. That, that'll be that'll be really fun. Um, how how are things at the church? Things are going really well at the church. We uh, we're just in a sweet season where the Lord just keeps leaning in with kind of fresh grace. But it's an amazing thing when a pastor and a church are in a sense married to a book of the Bible, like Mark, and going through a preaching series because Jesus tends to do in the church what he's doing in the book and so we've just seen the, the Lord's heart for the downcast and marginalized and the outsiders those who typically don't get the attention aren't noticed by the world he just seems to be kind of confronting us and forming us with more of his heart and his purposes and his grace so it's been a really sweet season at the church oh that's so encouraging to hear I, I love uh, I love hearing that and what God is up to in, in the church it's uh, it's really just very, very encouraging to, to me and I know to, to people to hear, hear these kind of testimonies. So thank you for sharing, brother. You're welcome. Can you uh, tell us a bit about your book, Don't Lose Heart, Gospel Encouragement for the Discouraged Soul? Why why did you write this and how will do you hope it will be received? Yeah, well, I, I wrote it because it really does seem like this is a plague. Discouragement is a plague in the church. In, the, in a fallen world, there are so many reasons to lose heart. And as a pastor who believe in the grace of God and the perseverance of the saints. I don't see people losing their salvation in church so much as losing heart, which makes them very ineffective. Uh, it, 
it actually lies to them about what's really real. And so just as a pastor who's had to walk with people through discouragement and, and walk through it uh, in my own family, it just seems like the, the Lord gave me this as a burden, started uh, putting things together in my mind and heart, took some of the, the sermons that I had done that people had really uh, said they, they, the Lord spoke to them through, and it just kind of came together in a book. So it's, it's been one of the most worshipful book projects that I've done. So it, it's really been a joy to write. And I, I look back over the course of writing it and realize the Lord really was doing this in my life and in my family's life as we kind of had to army crawl our way through this book, through its realities, and, and fight for sight, which is a big part of the book about not losing heart. Yeah, it is a it, uh, discouragement is a is, is a big it's a big issue and it's not being it's not being talked about enough I, I wrote an article recently I, I don't know if you saw it or not it's okay if you didn't you're busy but I, but I talked about it using um, discouragement um, being like a boxer in a boxing ring and and the and the and the boxer is about to you know land the, land that you know knockout blow you know obviously then it comes in encouragement with the with the counter punch you know and knocks it knocks uh, the boxer would then you know knock out the other person but um mm-hmm. I, I use that analogy to, to to show how powerful you know discouragement is and i got a lot of lot of feedback on a lot of encouraging feedback on that particular article because you know um people people are just struggling they're 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 hurting you know i'm i'm one of those people that uh often feels like uh that that boxer's gonna knock me out and and obviously i'm mm-hmm. talking about satan at this point you know he's he's locked and loaded and i'm gonna get uh i'm gonna get knocked out and knocked down and you know it's in those moments that we have to remember Christ and and he's he's there and he's 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 ready to 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 help us and that's why you know we also need to be in a local church to as we'll as we'll talk about with with God's people that's right exactly right. How do do we spot the lies of discouragement? Yeah, so one of the big parts of the book was really not just looking at discouragement and kind of the fact of it, everybody gets discouraged, but really to analyze the dynamic of discouragement. Why is it so prevalent? Why is it something that we all struggle with? And what I saw from Scripture is that discouragement is actually a liar. It's a sophisticated liar because it comes to us in the form of a half-truth. So as you look around in a fallen world, there's many, many reasons to lose heart. And they're actually true. They're actually right. They're actually things there that are real. They're, they're not fake. And so looking at the story of Elisha and his servant, the servant is discouraged to wake up and realize we're surrounded by an entire Syrian army. I mean, there is literally an army of reasons for him to lose heart. And yet Elisha says, Lord, open his eyes to see. And he sees that the, the hills are surrounded with these flaming angelic army and chariots. And he, he prayed that his servant would see that those who are for us are actually more than those who are against us. And that's really the dynamics of discouragement are on display right there because there literally was an army of reasons to lose heart. But the reason why discouragement is a half-truth is because the reasons to take heart are always greater than the reasons to lose heart. We lose heart when we lose sight of all that we have in Christ, that the one that's 
for us is actually always more than all that is against us. That is, uh, that's really good. Um, <laughs> for people like me who, who do struggle with discouragement, you know, we, we lose sight of, of what's most, most important. You know, Jesus talks about, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, how he were to seek the Lord and, and um, you know, his righteousness in Matthew 6, 33. And you know, we know that Jesus is our, our treasure. And um, so, so what are we treasuring in those moments? We, we have to ask ourselves. Mm-hmm. I have to ask myself. One, one other thing my wife does is she'll, she'll ask me questions and, and I'm supposed to answer those questions. And, and she's not, she's not looking that I know the, the theological answer because clearly I do know the theological answer, but she'll be looking for a certain way for me to be answering the question. And, and oftentimes I get the, mm-hmm. oftentimes I get the question wrong. I get the answer wrong because she's wanting it, not just the right answer. She's, she's wanting me to articulate in a certain way. And that's really helpful. It helps me to realize, yeah, I'm, I'm being a doofus, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. don't, um, in the moment and and it's like the light come on and that's right well you know the lord has set it up this way and i think if we don't come to grips with that we are a sitting duck for discouragement because the reasons to lose heart are not just real but they're easy to see we see them with our physical eyes by sight and the reasons to take heart are greater but they're harder to see they're actually more real than the tangible reasons to lose heart but we only see them by faith and not by sight. That's why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 4 16, we don't lose heart. And he didn't say some of the time we're encouraged, some of the time we lose heart. He said we don't lose heart, period. And you have to ask, well, why? How could you daily defeat discouragement and its lies? And he said for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So he's able to put into perspective the affliction is there and it doesn't always feel light and momentary earlier in the letter he said we despaired of life itself we 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 felt like we had the sentence of death this affliction was so heavy but here he's able to put it into the light of eternity and say compared to the eternal weight of glory this affliction is actually light and it's actually momentary and it's actually doing something it's working the eternal weight of glory that we're going to receive and he says we don't lose heart because we know where to look as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. But the things that are seen are temporary. The things that are unseen are eternal. So actually, the reasons to lose heart are real, and they're easy to see. And the reasons to take heart are even more real, but they're harder to see. They're eternal. Actually more real, more substantial. Like the, the this idea that Lewis had of, of liquidity, like quiddity. These things that are actually eternal, they don't go out of existence. They last for ever. They're more substantial and secure and solid than even the tangible things that look solid and real in this present fallen world that's going to be destroyed. That's really, really good. Well, I know, I know uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones is, has made a deep impact on your on your life and your and your ministry. And of course, we both know he wrote the book Spiritual Depression, and that book has helped a lot of people. Um, how has Lloyd-Jones personally uh, helped you on the topic of discouragement? Yeah, in a way, I would love it if people could see my book, Don't Lose Heart, as a kind of modern updating of Lloyd-Jones' book on spiritual
spiritual depression. I'm not sure that the title was actually the best that could have been used for that book because he really was talking about discouragement. A kind of Psalm 42 discouragement that says, why are you so downcast? Why are you so disquieted within me? Uh, that that experience of my tears have been my food day and night. So it's not it's not like clinical depression. It's this state of being so overwhelmed by life's troubles and trials and being heartbroken and trying to come to grips, as Lloyd-Jones says, that you're not listening to yourself. He said that's problem. We're listening to ourselves and not preaching to ourselves because he says, the psalmist says, why are you so downcast? Hope in God. So he's preaching to himself. He's grabbing himself by the collar and saying, listen up, self. You actually have reasons to hope that you're not taking hold of. And I think that really was the approach of this book, is to look biblically and say, why could the Apostle Paul say, we don't lose heart? How could he daily defeat discouragement? And so I think Lloyd-Jones was, was already doing that in his ministry. I think this is a, a somewhat different approach, but uh, very similar. That's, uh, that's very, very helpful, my friend. How is discouragement a form of identity theft? Yeah, so discouragement, I mean, it's, it's helpful to look at kind of the, the form of the book that helps show its focus because in all of these things, I tried to make the argument that, that biblically, if you start with the Trinity, but so the first section really is has a Trinitarian structure, we lose heart when we lose sight of we, the scale and the score and our story. So we, when we lose sight of the scale, like we, we check the wrong scale, we look at our, our, our trials or our problems and we're always weighing them, right? We're weighing how, how heavy, how hard is the opposition, how big are my problem. And in Isaiah 40, God kind of switches the scale and says, you're looking at this, the Assyrians and, and what a what a massively powerful nation they are, but compared to me, they're like dust on the scales. Compared to me, I, I hold the oceans in the hollow of my hand. I weigh the mountains and the hills on the scale. Like we pick up bananas, a bunch of bananas at the store and put them on the scale and weigh them. God does that with mountains. So to, to resize things in the light of the infinity and immensity of God and, and to realize we're his children. Like he couldn't be more for us than he is. And so we sometimes in prayer uh, talk to God about how big our problems are instead of telling our problems how big our God is, how great our Father is. And with, with uh, the Son, we sometimes check the wrong score. I gave a story in the book about how in my last high school basketball game, I, uh, I got the ball, stole it, went from half court to, to our basket and scored my one and only career slam dunk. And our side of the cheering section just exploded, started cheering, clapping, yelling. I, I, I felt like I was on cloud nine as I was running back down the court. And then it all stopped, came to a screeching halt because the opposing band started to chant, check the score, check the score check the score and everybody looked up and realized they're right it, there was a minute left and we were 16 points behind and it brought instant perspective we weren't winning though we felt like we were winning for a moment we were actually losing and if we check the wrong score we realize Satan loves to do this he loves to make us feel like we're losing our problems really do make us feel like we're losing but when we check the right score we realize Jesus has already won and so we can start a chant like check the score Satan check the score he He's, he's alive. He's alive forevermore to realize that in Christ, 
Our identity is secure. We have an undefeated identity. I, I noticed this really for the first time, I think, when I was in uh, Louisiana for a while. And somebody told me, you know, Jason, you're not ready for SEC football. And I said, how big could it be? I, I was wrong. I, I realized how big it was because everybody started talking the same way. They'd be like, oh, we played terrible last week. We better get it together when we play Alabama. And it was such a funny way to talk because, like, we? What do you mean we? I didn't see you out there scoring any touchdowns. You, you didn't pad up, put a helmet on, but it was an identity thing. They had so identified with this team, and it was up or down, depending on if they won or lost. And our identity is in Christ. His victory is our victory. We're not heading just towards victory, but from victory. And so to have that be our identity really does help us not lose heart, because sin really does do identity theft. When we're struggling with the sin and say we're, we're struggling with the sin of anger. It can become our identity. We can say, I am an angry person. Actually, that identity statement is wrong. We have to say instead, I am a child of God in Christ who sometimes struggles with anger. Sin does not get to be our identity because it's nailed, not in part, but the whole to our Savior's cross. That is so, so well said. It reminds me of something that one of my mentors in high school said. He He's a former pastor, and then he um, was an executive at Microsoft at the time when I was in high school and he would he would say he would say to me Dave Christian life is about perspective and 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 you just articulated that so well um that it that it's a matter of our perspective because of our identity in Christ and when we you know forget our identity we're we're our eyes are are not on the prize they're not on the the treasure that are are uh, that has so won our won our soul and that's why we lose heart when we lose sight of those truths lose sight of that perspective yeah that's right what should Christians do when they feel overwhelmed by life and the responsibilities of life, work, and family. Yeah. I mean, how many of us deal with this daily, right? We, we get overwhelmed by all the things that we face. And again, we lose heart because those problems and those issues just feel overwhelming. And what has to happen is we have to put those things into perspective and begin to see that the one who's for us is actually greater than all that's against us. And we actually have to begin to check our story because it's so easy for us to do what I call, um, instead of revelation, which is where God is speaking to us about us, we do this thing called projection, where we assume God must feel about us the way we feel about us. We're projecting the way we really feel about ourselves. We feel worthless, we feel overwhelmed, all those things. We feel like God must be frustrated with us. And what changes everything is to begin to look in Scripture and to see how God really does view us, really does even feel about us. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody that's doing something with, like, every fiber of their being, like, every ounce. We say, man, their heart was really in that. And to realize in Scripture, in Jeremiah 32, God says, I will delight in doing good to my children with all my heart and with all my soul. That is an incredible statement. An infinite heart and soul. How much is that? Every ounce of our Father's heart is for us. And it can be it can be easy to lose sight of that when all of these problems start piling up and we start to wonder, God, have you have you abandoned me? Are you not for me? Are you not with me? And to just resize those things again and realize God is for us. Who can be against us? And like Lewis said, sometimes what happens 
happens is at the beginning of the day or maybe for some people at the end of the day as they're trying to sleep, our problems rush at us like wild animals and we feel overwhelmed by them, by the, the, the sheer uh, size of all the things that are against us. And we have to kind of move those things out of the way so that we can really see the one who's for us, the one who is working all things for our good, the one who with all of his heart and soul is doing us good. That is so, that is so good. I know like when I when I when I just feel overwhelmed, I have to I have to stop and just realize everything you said and what is the character of God? You know, how is mm-hmm. how is God working for, for my good? Why is he doing that? And and as I mm-hmm. keep going back over that in my heart and my mind and I realize, you know, I really don't have you know, back to the perspective and the identity thing as well, I realize, you know what, I really have nothing to be discouraged about. Actually I have everything to be encouraged about, you know, uh <laughs> I have so many good things that that God is doing in my life, um, just as a as a Christian, and and you know God is using me, and I, He doesn't have to do that. That that's a that's a privilege and not a right, mm-hmm. and it's something that I get to enjoy, and you know he, something that He wants me to to enjoy because He delights in me, and that's right. He 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 rejoices over me, um, and so so as I think about that. That just like how can I how can I how can I be discouraged then I I can't mm-hmm. right I I, I I find my my rest and my identity I get my brain and my heart right again because I'm realizing hey this God he's he's for me he's not against me all those lies that are that are coming at me those are lies from Satan wanting to discourage me and and tell me that you know hey you're you're worthless and you're not you know we're we're not um mm-hmm. so maybe we ask this question now. Um, if you could sit down with somebody over coffee, what, if that be, be one of our listeners, or maybe somebody in your own congregation, which I, I, I know that you have done that, but what would you say to the Christian who is struggling mightily with discouragement today, believing Satan's lies that they're worthless to God? Yeah, well, I would really want to look through um, and try to listen well and analyze why are they discouraged? What what has them down? Because in the, in the second half of the book, I really analyzed discouragement according to its tenses, like the past tense of discouragement, the present tense of discouragement, or the future tense of discouragement. The, the past tense of discouragement looks at something from our past, and we feel guilty, we feel shame, we feel like we're worthless because of some mistake that we made. And, and guilt says you, you've made a mistake, but shame says you are the mistake, you, you are worthless. So I would want to analyze what's happening there, and, and if somebody's feeling worthless, and it's because of something in their past, then I would want to say to them, you know, the problem here is actually a memory problem. Memories can be a great gift from God when you go back into the past, like a time machine, and you get to relive some fun memory or or meaningful moment, and you can relive it, and those things become, like, real again, present tense again. But it, it also can be a problem when that time machine becomes twisted, and you keep going back to that mistake state to that sin to that problem to that moment and you relive it and you you feel worthless all over again and I, I try to tell them in that moment the problem isn't that you're going back the problem is that you're not going all the way back you're you're getting 
stuck in that sin instead of taking that sin all the way back to the cross where the Lord paid for it, where he buries our sin in the sea of forgetfulness. And uh, I had one person in my first church that always said with a smile, he buries it in the sea of forgetfulness, and then he puts a sign that says no fishing. You're not supposed to fish that back up. You're not supposed to go to that moment and relive it as a failure with shame. You're supposed to relive the moment of victory when that sin was nailed to the cross so you bear it no more. You're supposed to relive the moment when Jesus defeated that sin, when you were completely forgiven and free. So the problem isn't that we go back, is that we don't go all the way back. Yeah, that, that's right. I know one thing I was told about this many, many times by many people is, is um, you know, we, we tend to, people that really struggle with discouragement, depression, they, they keep repeating those those things in their mind, you know, so they'll say, I'm, I'm worthless, or I'm, I did that, I messed mm-hmm. up. And so, so then they, they keep repeating in that pattern of thought, and, and then, you know, it's no wonder they go back to that when you know hard things happen and and what we have to do is we have to take what second corinthians 10 5 as you know says take every thought captive into the obedience of christ and you know that that looks very practically like i i'm not believing i'm no longer going to believe that about Mm -hmm. whatever you know whatever happened as you said in the in the past that that's already in the past it's it's done and over with like whatever happened 25 30 years ago i was telling somebody the other day um that's that's done and over and and you know we can't do anything about it so you know it's 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 over you know it's it's already happened it's it's that's three decades away three decades ago you know and Mm -hmm. and it doesn't need to impact today and you know you can have we have fresh mercy from from christ every every day every every moment even down to the as Mm -hmm. as piper would say down to the nanosecond um i think he said that at t4g in his message in 2014 you know the Christian is held secure down to the nanosecond and mm-hmm. by by Christ. And and that's that's just so powerful because that means that, you know, when Satan lies to us, um, those are those are lies and we can take those thoughts captive because we're we're held secure by by the mighty hand and the power of a sovereign God and, and so you know that that's why I have to tell myself, take those thoughts captive. I'm I'm not believing those mm-hmm. I'm not believing those things about whatever or about that situation because they're just not true of course you have to find out if they're true and if they're they're true then repent and you know confess it to the lord and and then you'll be forgiven and you know but there's a way to find freedom and hope and and as christians we we often don't believe when we we believe in when we are discouraged we're not believing that christ is enough for us in that moment and um you know i'm I'm right it's important to see what is at stake in that moment is this just a feel-good kind of message I'm going to feel lousy or I'm going to feel better. I mean, it's, it's not that. That's not all that's at stake here. If you take an example like the Apostle Paul and you say, how could he live a life of worship and loving others? In First Timothy, he says, this is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, and he had mercy on me as the foremost, that he would demonstrate to others his perfect patience. So for Paul, he had a past. You look at anybody, and you compare their past with Paul's past, and you say, were were you opposing Jesus more than anyone else, perhaps in history? That was Paul. He was having people murdered for their confession of Christ, wanting to jail them, wanting to violently oppose 
the gospel. And Paul looks at that past, and rather than getting stuck there, he goes all the way back to the cross and says, this is an example of Jesus' perfectations. And what happens there in that moment is that Paul, looking at his past, when he's able to go all the way back to the cross, he goes from that past to praise. He ends that section and that look at the cross by saying to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the blessing and honor and glory forever. So he went from that kind of paralyzing shame of the past, and it ended in praise because he went to the cross with it. And I think, like Jesus says, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. So if we're not willing to take those past failures and sins and mistakes to the cross, we're not going to live a life of love or a life of praise. That's uh, that's really well said. What advice do you have for uh, to pastors and ministry leaders struggling with discouragement? Yeah, I mean, once again, uh, I think discouragement is so multifaceted that it really needs to be analyzed. Just like a, a good uh, doctor needs to look at the presenting problems and say, these are symptoms. What's what's the deeper root? What's the, what's the cause of this? I, I would say to a, a pastor or a ministry leader that's dealing with discouragement for themselves or for somebody that they're trying to minister to, you have to gain skill as a soul care doctor when dealing with discouragement to say, why? What is it? Like we looked at the past, and if that's the problem, then there's a gospel cure that we need to administer. What is the, the problem is they're discouraged in the present, and it's really a, a disappointment problem. That is, it's an expectation problem. I think discouragement is really the distance between what we expect and what we have. So if somebody is just discouraged and disappointment, I'm disappointed, I would want to look at, well, what was your expectation? And now let's look at your reality and see, why did you expect that? In other words, did you have the expectation that life was going to be easy, that suffering is somehow strange? Because the Bible says the exact opposite. When you're suffering, don't look at it as though something strange were happening to you. Actually, you're supposed to be able to count it all joy, my brothers, James says, when you encounter various trials, because you know that it's actually producing steadfastness. So you're actually supposed to be able to analyze these problems that look like they're trying to destroy me. But actually, this suffering is working for me, an eternal weight of glory. It's, it's doing something even now in me. Like if you look at, uh, if you've ever seen uh, a baby chip hatching out of an egg, I mean, it looks like such a depressing situation because they're, they're pecking out of that egg and then they pass out exhausted and then they peck again and then they pass out exhausted and they peck again. And some people look at it and say, oh, that's just a cruel process. Why don't we just break open the egg? And, and rescue the chick out and every time you do that the chick dies because it's actually the struggle that's making that chick strong it's building up that capacity to be able to breathe and to be able to live and so if, if your expectation is that I'm, I shouldn't have suffering suffering strange then actually you need to look at your reality and realize this is actually doing something for me this is creating endurance and steadfastness building up my spiritual lungs so that I can make it in this marathon called the Christian life and 
the, the beauty of heaven is that that discouragement problem is going to be totally flipped on its head because the distance between what we're expecting heaven to be like and what heaven's really going to be like, that distance is called wonder and worship. No eye has seen, no, it's never entered into the mind of people to understand what God has prepared for those who wait for him. I and mean, once you're in heaven, no one is going to be looking back and say, I went through all of that just for this. So it really needs to be reframed. And again, it's, it's a matter of perspective. Do you see what God is doing? Yeah, that's uh, really, really wise. Very, very helpful. Thank you, my friend. Where where can people go out go to find out more about your work online, either on social media or otherwise? Well, you can go to uh, Twitter. Twitter handle is We, we Preach Christ. Um, I really, the way that I use Twitter is I, I'm always asking, as Paul says, we preach not ourselves, Christ Jesus is Lord. So I, I just do not like self-promotion, preaching yourself. So I, on Twitter, I'm always trying to ask, is this preaching Christ? So that, that'd be one place to look. And then um, other books that I've written you can see on Amazon and other places. Yeah, that's really good. I, I appreciate what you share on, on Twitter as well. It's um, always very helpful and thoughtful. So thank you. Well, yeah. Uh, maybe let me finish the, the, the other um, thing I would say to somebody if you're analyzing discouragement. If it's not a past tense problem, some something in your past or a present tense problem with the, the distance between what you expected and what you're actually experiencing, sometimes it's a future tense problem in that we're very good at kind of looking ahead and forecasting our problems. We're very good at being able to see what's coming down the pike and it becomes actually not a memory problem but an imagination problem. We're imagining how hard things are going to be before they happen. And I, I saw that it was so profound. Actually, Lloyd-Jones helped me see this when in Spiritual Depression he's talking about Philippians chapter 4 and he says we should be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the God of peace, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he has to question. Why does Paul say heart and mind? How is that the cure for anxiety as we look ahead to the future and we're troubled by what could come? And Lloyd-Jones says what happens is when you really care about something, like these things come up in your heart and you start to worry about them, like you, you start thinking about somebody that you love is is sick or even if you, you yourself have health problems or if something is coming in the future that seems troubling, like these hairs are coming up from the heart. And then the mind gets involved because you start coming up with scenarios about how to deal with that problem that could come up. I, I remember, it's almost a humorous example, uh, when we were preparing to move to Ethiopia um, to complete an adoption, I had looked up what things were like in Ethiopia because, of course, of the unknown. And I read in Addis Ababa, they didn't really have problems with violent crime, but they had a lot of problems with, with pickpocketing and stealing. And so people could unzip your computer out of your backpack or take money out of your pockets or your wallet. So at night, I started thinking about this and started worrying. I'm going to be bringing money along for the orphanage and for other things. And what if somebody takes my money? And I, I start thinking then in my head, making scenarios of how I'm going to deal with that. So if that happens, well, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a pair of pants that have zippers on the side and I'll put some of the money 
in one zipper in the front and the rest of the money in the other zipper on the other side and suddenly I'm beginning to hope in pants. Like, what is my problem here? Uh, worrying about something that may never happen, number one, but realizing at that point that God is really the one. Like, that flimsy piece that's based on how good our plan is has to be guarded constantly. And that verse says, God's peace guards us. We don't have to have it all figured out because God does. We don't have to have a perfect plan because God does. And so it's not wrong to plan. It's not wrong to think about things ahead of time. It's just wrong to trust in them. And that's what I was seeing with anxiety. The problem isn't that we go forward in the future. The problem is we don't go all the way forward and see the plan that God has that culminates in glory and that he really knows what's coming and he's really guarding us. Yeah, that's uh, that's really, really, really good. Um, do you have any, uh, do, do you have any final takeaways or, or that could be your final takeaway if, if you if you'd like and i'll edit this part out yeah, no probably the final takeaway would be the conclusion was my favorite of all the chapters to write um one of our pastors when u.s bank stadium was being built which our our church is just a, a block away from u.s bank stadium which was uh, where the minnesota vikings play and where they hosted the super bowl when that was being built i just could not believe how big of a hole they had to dig in order to build that thing and one time when the, the hole was really big and our uh, pastor one of our pastors said so how did how do you all like us bank baby and everybody laughed because if you looked at it then it would look like man the architects made a really big day but there was a very simple truth there it wasn't done you couldn't judge it yet because it wasn't finished and in the same way the truth that we see in scripture time and time and time again is that god's not done he wasn't done when mary was a virgin or when hannah was barren or when goliath was taunting the armies of israel or when the babylonians were destroying the temple he wasn't done when abraham and sarah were childless he wasn't done when it looked like all was lost because jesus was in the tomb no he wasn't done and in the same way that we see that story again and again and again and then we see what god did the empty tomb or the the miracle birth of isaac all these things we need to realize in the same way god's not done with us we were not able to see the full picture his the architect work of God isn't finished so we dare not judge it. Mm, that's, uh, that's so don't lose heart because God's not done. Yeah, that's that's really, really good. Well, brother, I, I so appreciate um, I so appreciate you and the work that the Lord is doing and through you at, at Bethlehem and at the seminary and, and uh, through your writing, your real encouragement to me and, and to so many people. So so thank you so much, brother. Thank you. Your, your, your ministry also is a gift to me and I've really enjoyed our conversation conversations and your your friendship so thank you yes sir brother i look forward to many more conversations and and uh getting to know you more so likewise thank you thanks bro thank you so much for listening we hope that you were encouraged by today's episode don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast for more uplifting and thought-provoking content please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.